Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight bet or parlay. That's $200 that you can use for all the upcoming basketball action, including the men's basketball tournament. If you bet at least $500 during the first and second round of the tournament, you can get a trip to the five-star rated Win Las Vegas. Offer subject to change, terms, and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in a state where playthrough winbet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. What's up, everyone? Welcome back. This is episode number eight of the That's So Mets podcast. I'm your host, Connor Rogers. Joining me is my co-host, Joe DeMeo. We're really excited here because we are really diving into the offseason starting today. A different offseason for the New York Mets now under the ownership, assuming he gets approved, Steve Cohen, and, and that should be accelerated. Hopefully, we'll have some news on that in the next month. But today, we're going to go through a lot of different scenarios to make this team better in the offseason, whether it's through a free agency, JT Real Muto, Trevor Bauer being the names that highlight that, but a lot more behind them. Trades like Francisco Lindor, Nolan Arenado, think big, dream big, and fixing this bullpen. So a lot of different scenarios to make the Mets better. We're going to go through them all today. We're actually going to pick which ones we prefer over the others. I'm excited, and I know my co-host Joe is excited. Joe, what's going on? Let's do this thing. Not much, Connor. Happy uh, Lafreniere Day, right? Rangers uh, getting him tonight, that number is, one, right? That is right, my friend. Finally, something is going right for one of my teams. And I think some of the things we're going to talk about today uh, will ultimately go right for the Mets in the long run as well. I, I hope so. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited to get started with our uh, Would You Rather here. Yeah, let's just dive right into it, honestly. And this is, we're going to start with the most basic one. It's one that we had a poll on our Twitter account, the That's So Mets pod. It got a lot of attention. It's been a combo, a topic on this show now, almost since the beginning of this show, and that a lot of people, I think, have started to ponder. And that is simply, would you rather sign JT Real Muto or Trevor Bauer? You're looking at two monster needs and these are star players right for the New York Mets you think of how much of a problem catcher has been for this team for a long time you know sure Wilson Ramos offensively in 2019 was not an issue at all 2020 he fell off a cliff but defensively uh, he has never been the answer and for the Mets you know going out and getting a guy like Real Muto solves just about everything the guy's a premier offensive player at his position uh, he might be the fastest catcher in baseball incredible arm just an all-around stud at the position but then you look at Trevor Bauer and how Mets fans watch this rotation fall apart this year for various different reasons of course Jacob DeGrom was phenomenal as he always is the frontline pitcher of this rotation surprisingly David Peterson was an impact player as a rookie but just about everything after that was horrendous, right? When you look at it, you talk about Marcus Stroman opting out, and now he can hit free agency. So we'll talk about him a lot in the offseason. Noah Syndergaard in the first spring training uh, going down and needing Tommy John, a lost year for him. The Rick Porcello and Michael Walker signings were huge busts. Seth Lugo moving him to the rotation was very uneven overall. Robert Kesselman and Steven Matz were absolutely horrific when they had chances in the rotation. So... This rotation has a hole or two in it right now, and a guy like Trevor Bauer, who was one of or, and is one of the best pitchers in baseball, 
would be a huge solution. I mean, you're not talking about adding a number two starter. You're a, you're talking about adding a front line of Jacob DeGrom and Trevor, ba- Trevor Bauer. I, I know DeGrom is in his own world, but when you look at this rotation, you would say, hey, we got DeGrom and Bauer, you know, starting in a playoff series or, or being our guys to get us through a tough series and carry us. It, it's not just somebody that you're penciling in as a three or four starter. He's a star. So I, I'm going to start with you, Joe, and get the real – you know, stick your foot in the ground and take, in a, take a stance. Which one of these additions, if you're taking everything out of it, right, you're taking the money out of it, you're taking the years out of it, you just get one of them no matter what, who do you want on this New York Mets team? I think it was episode one, two, something like that early on. I think you asked me this question, and I said JT Realmuto at the time. And I've thought on it more, and maybe it's I've seen more Trevor Bauer recently than I've seen JT Realmuto, but also just considering the needs in this organization. Like you said, this rotation, I can't tell you that there's any more than two starters ready to come and start for this team next year. Like Jacob deGrom, David Peterson. You can try Seth Lugo again if you want. Uh, Steven Matz maybe as like a back-end guy like we talked about last week. But if... If the whole point of here with Steve Cohen, as we and many people have said, is that his intention is to win now or very, very soon, you need two legitimate starters to do that. So I'm putting my foot down. I love JT Realmuto. If they sign him, you know, we'll do a bonus episode and I'll be overjoyed. This is not a slight on him at all. Like you said, he's an all-around stud on every facet of the game, but... I need that number two guy, and I don't know where else I could get it. I think I can get some solid catching production from someone like James McCann, who's a free agent. That's been talked about a little bit. A good defensive catcher that has hit more recently in the last year or two. But I need that number two. I don't know how I'm getting it otherwise. Trevor Bauer's my guy. I'm, I'm going Trevor Bauer. I don't know how it's gonna how he's gonna mesh with the New York media. He's quite honest. Um, I love it personally. I think Trevor Bauer is exactly the kind of guy we need more Trevor Bowers in major league baseball, uh, as, at least as far as how open he is about just, he's just straight up honest about everything, you know, after the playoff game, I mean, some people frown upon it and they scored no runs and he asked and, or they asked him and he said, well, I mean, can't, can't blame the pitching. I mean, I I appreciate that honesty because that's something you or I would tweet if, if the Mets scored no runs, so like I could appreciate that. I understand clubhouse could that be a problem, but by all accounts, it seems most people he's teammates with love him. So I don't think he's a bad guy. I think he's just an honest guy, and he's he's a little different. He's a little outside the box, and you know this whole deal with will he take a one year deal for his whole career? It seems he's kind of backtracked on that a little bit, and I'm starting to wonder if that was kind of a facade and not not truly reality but Trevor Bauer that that to me that's the guy yeah I'm not totally buying the one-year deal thing and it could have changed right in his mind or maybe he's getting advice somewhere where you're sitting there going listen man you were a Cy Young caliber pitcher this year you will never be hotter on the free agent market than you are right now although I think there are things that will factor into it right Joe we've talked about this team's we believe are going to be reluctant to spend this year because baseball is coming off a year like every single, you know, franchise in America 
off a pandemic where they're losing money. There's going to be cuts. Now the Mets are in this crazy fortunate situation where they have an influx of cash coming in that they've never quite seen before that most sports franchises never quite ever get to see in their in their existence. So it's a little different for the Mets and the sake of the show, but around the league, the market might not, and you don't bid against yourself, right? That's why you bring in a pro like Sandy Alderson, where it's not like, hey, the Mets can go buy whatever player they want, and they're going to get played like fools by agents when there's really no competition around them. So there's two sides of the coin here for Bauer. One, he might see it as, hey, you're never going to be better than this. You're on the market. Let's take that four-year deal worth a, a on you know a crazy amount of money rather than a one-year deal where honestly I think he can get a one-year 40 million dollar deal at this point I think when Bauer went out and said that it felt like he was you know he realized what he was he realized what free agency was in baseball at the time and he was a guy that hey I'd rather take a one-year 18 to 20 million dollar deal every year and keep stacking those up you know than a three-year $50 million deal. That, that's kind of what I was thinking. He was probably thinking, hey, I could tack on a few extra million because I believe I could take care of my body as good as anybody in the sport. I feel like I'm going to have more leverage each year. Teams are always buying on pitching to get them over the hump. So it'll be very interesting to see how that part of this all plays out. Now, something you did say, and I like Trevor Bauer overall. I think he does do some really good things for baseball. I think you also have to do your research with this, right? You have to make sure it is a fit in the clubhouse. You do have to make the Mets for the Mets have problems. One of them is not the clubhouse. This is a team that has great chemistry. This is a team that gets along really well. It gets along across the board. Everybody seems together. Everybody seems to encourage each other. You have Robinson Cano, who's almost been like a coach on that bench for a lot of the young players. You have some young guys like Pete Alonso and Michael Conforto that, sure, they're not rookie players, but they're not really old players, and they're taking charge. They're leaders. Dominic Smith is a guy uh, that's been great in that role as well. Jacob deGrom is a lead-by-example guy, but you know he's somebody that has helped the guys that are on that pitching staff and the relievers. I think when you look at it, you, you don't want to mess with that in – now, I'm not saying Bauer will mess with that. I'm just saying it's something that you have to do your research on and make sure it's the right fit. Now, where it gets – and I don't have those concerns with Real Muto, right? He's a guy that has great relationships with his pitchers. Um, he's somebody that will make your pitchers better, which is why I'm kind of sitting here and going, man, I think it's very even. I I kind of want JT or Real Muto, although I know Mets offensively do not have problems. So, you know, like they they need the pitcher – but I want Real Muto when it's between these two. Now, if there's a scenario where you go out and get Real Muto and you bring back Stroman, I'm a pretty big fan of that. Now, I know there are fans that have soured on Stroman for different reasons. Uh, I don't personally feel that way. I would like to see Stroman back with the Mets. I actually think you can get him on a pretty good discounted kind of deal because I just don't think his market will be as hot as we once expected it to be. And then if you're setting up this rotation going into next year where you're like, hey, these guys are going to be better because they have Real Muto behind the plate. They have DeGrom. Syndergaard will be back at some point early, I believe. Stroman, Peterson. And then, like you said, you're trying to figure out the back end of the rotation. So there's a lot of variables involved in this. And you can make the argument for either one. Bauer is the easy fix, right? You go out and get him. Sure, you might be taking a little bit of a risk because he's a different kind of character. Sure, you might be taking a risk because I, I could see him getting a, an absolute boatload of money, although I don't really think that's our concerns anymore. 
But at the end of the day, if you're plugging him in as your number two starter, I mean, come on, Joe, when you get into the postseason, you're telling me that the Mets are going to be starting Jacob DeGrom and then Trevor Bauer against teams in short and series. That's something that I think has to be on your mind in all of this, right? Of course, especially with the intention of winning. Like the Mets, this is a new day with Steve Cohen that he's coming in and they're going to truly try to win now. I don't not I think the Wilpons really did want to win, but they were not able to actually try to win. And I think that's going to be a big difference with Steve Cohen. So, yeah, I'm thinking playoffs, and I think everyone should be thinking that. We shouldn't be thinking about oh, well, just worry about the regular season. The regular season's important, but I'm worried about the postseason. I want to see the Mets in the postseason next year, and next year I want Jacob DeGrom and Trevor Bauer starting multiple times in a five- and seven-game series and hopefully a deep run. That's what I want. Uh, one one thing that I want to go off this, which I think is interesting, because obviously on the offensive side, there are two real need, true needs, center field and catcher. Would you, would you rather have George Springer in center and a guy like James McCann behind the plate or JT Real Muto behind the plate and Jackie Bradley Jr. in center field? I would lean towards Real Muto and Jackie Bradley, that combination, and for a couple different reasons. One, listen, you know that Jackie Bradley is is probably going to be hitting ninth for you on most days, right? I mean, there's no secret that that's going to be the case. But the Mets, and Andres Jimenez helped with this, but the Mets do lack in two key areas, and that is defense and speed. And for the problems that Jackie Bradley has at the plate, I do think he has defense and speed. Real Muto makes you so significantly better than everyone else at such a bizarre position that is catcher, both defensively and offensively, where I can live with that at center field, where this lineup, one through eight, one through seven, you know, really one through six, it is special, where I'm not as worried about... Now, you could go say, hey, on the flip side, George Springer... We don't know how much longer he's going to be in center field. And this is a dumb thing from a personnel side of view, but I just have a sour taste in my mouth with anything with the Astros, like anything with the Astros, where George Springer's a good player, right? There's no denying that, you know, cheating Astros are not cheating Astros. He's a good player. But I just have a sour taste in my mouth. And it's not reason number one why I'm not signing him. I'm just taking the the combo of Real Muto and Bradley because uh, I like them better uh, from a baseball standpoint. But I will add in that it, it is hard for me overall to get excited about a guy like Springer. You know, McCann is, is fine at catcher. But for me, I'm just way more excited about the combination of the defense that Jackie Bradley brings and the complete package Real Muto is behind the plate where I'm going, man, let's stack up this lineup right now, right? You look at it and you go – you know, you, in that scenario, you might lead off Jeff McNeil or maybe you give him and as more looks at lead off. But you're talking about a middle of the order that has Robinson Cano, Michael Conforto, you know, Pete Alonzo, JT Real Muto, Dom Smith, J.D. Davis is in the equation somewhere. That is absolutely ridiculous in my eyes. Now, sure, you could sit here and go George Springer in the middle of that's exciting as well. But I just think you have such a competitive advantage when you have that kind of player at catcher. I actually agree. I, I would take the Rail Buto and Jackie Bradley side mostly because it's that's big time defensive upgrade. And if you're talking about playing Andres Jimenez at shortstop, it 
it's going to be a plus there. You have Rail Muto behind the plate. That's a plus there. And Jackie Bradley, he had a very nice offensive year, actually, this year, too. Uh, so maybe he's not quite the automatic out kind of guy as you think, but he also graded out as the second best defensive center fielder this year in baseball. So that's uh, that would be a nice change if the Mets said, hey, we're going to be defensively driven. We're going to have a real center fielder. Brandon Nimmo could play left field as far as I'm concerned. He's perfectly fine there. He's just not a center fielder. No fault of his own. He's just not. But you could get a real center fielder, a real catcher, have a real shortstop. And, you know, Cano doesn't really have so much range anymore at second base, but he makes the plays that he can get to. So he's he's okay at second base. He's, he's, he's okay. And uh, he's certainly going to help groom Jimenez uh, with instincts and things like that. So I, I, I agree with you. I think that's the duo I would pick. But, uh, yeah, I thought it was an interesting debate because those are, those, are those are two big needs, and the money does have to be shared around somehow, some way. I mean, as excited as we are about Steve Cohen's $14 billion, it's not like he's going to go and spend, you know, $500 million Springer, on Real the Muto, team. Springer, Real Muto, Bauer, yeah. Stroman. Exactly. Yeah, he's know, not going to go crazy. And I know, I know I see so many tweets where, like, I try to respond to some of them and just say, you know, just – Calm down a little bit. Like, I understand the excitement. I'm excited as hell, too, because they're finally going to be ready to spend in, in the big world. But they're also not going to clean out free agency. There are 29 other teams that also need starting pitching, that need catching help. You know, there's teams that need these things. So you're not just going to get every top free agent. But I'm confident they're going to get a top free agent. I just, I just wonder who it is. Well, let's get completely off the rails here, right? Because we're excited to see what top free agent that is. Hopefully they do land one, and I'm, I'm quite confident that it's going to be somebody uh, with a few counterparts as well that will be exciting, you know, especially for, for how in-depth we get on this show. But let's get absolutely crazy. And we don't have to talk about what pieces are sent in return or get into any of the specifics like that or – would you rather trade for Francisco Lindor or Nolan Arenado? So, very interesting. Very, very interesting. Uh, Nolan Arenado, absolute superstar at third base. MVP caliber player. The best defensive third baseman in baseball, and it's not even close. Francisco Lindor, absolute stud up the middle. I mean, you're talking about two premier players. And this may surprise you, because we love Andre Semenes on this podcast. There's still potential some hope for Ahmed Rosario. Ronnie Mauricio is the number one prospect in this system. I'm going Francisco Lindor, man. You wow. Give, you give me the 26-year-old franchise shortstop that is elite in the field, truly elite. Like, we think Jimenez is good. Lindor's at another level defensively than than Jimenez is. And offensively, MVP caliber player. He's young, exciting. If you listen to his in interviews, he just has so much fun playing the game. He's the kind of guy that I think New York fans would fall in love with. And at 26 years old, and you know, he's gonna be a free agent, so you will have to pay him. And Arenado, of course, has his contract and an opt-out situation. So there's a lot of money being involved with either of these guys whether it's Arenado or Lindor. But 
give me the give me the twenty six year old franchise shortstop over Arenado. Um, and not a di- again, not a diss to Arenado, just like it wasn't a diss to Real Muto before. Because if they get Arenado, I'm buying a jersey. You know, twenty eight Arenado. Uh, the one thing that always always stems up when you're getting a guy from Colorado, and if you look at his career splits, he's only about an 800 OPS guy away from Coors Field. If he's an 800 OPS guy, is and his defense is awesome, is, and he's 29 turning 30, I believe, and is that a guy that you want to invest the next five, six years into? It, it, it gives me a little pause, but Lindor, I'm all in. Uh, I know we have options at the position, but Lindor's the kind of guy that, Let's just say they, for some reason, they do strike out and don't land Real Muto or Bauer. I don't know if that'll happen, but let's just play pretend. That's a move where you're putting billboards up with Francisco Lindor's face on them, and that's where I'm going. I, I think I think I, I think you're gonna disagree, but I'm interested to hear. It's almost like you talked me into it. To be completely honest with you, I, I was leaning more Arenado. But one, the Coors Field point is is a phenomenal one, and it's one that we bring up with every great Rockies player whenever this happens. But it's it's valuable. It absolutely is valuable. Now, for me, and this is such a football scouting mindset, but it, it, it translates across the board in any sport, it's the age, right? That And I know one guy is 29, the other is 26. That is a gigantic difference in my eyes in baseball when acquiring a player and getting ready to pay him this monster deal. Now, for Arenado, I know he's on a contract, but there's opt-out potential. There's all kinds of different things with Arenado's structure of his deal. Here's why I actually like, but you made great points and swayed me that way. And here's what I like even more about acquiring Lindor. Right, he's 26. You're, you're going to acquire him, and you feel pretty good about the kind of player he is for the next almost seven years. That's a very long time in baseball to be a star player at a position like shortstop. Speed, phenomenal. Power at the position, phenomenal. You just don't get a lot of shortstops that are 30 home run kind of players, can swipe you 20, 25 bags, play a gold glove caliber position, and he's been doing all this while he's 24, 25, you know, now 26. And I think the other lingering thing here, Joe, is that you go and get him and and you're realistically looking at sending back Rosario, maybe Rosario and Jimenez. But Ronnie Mauricio, and and you could speak to this uh, as well as anyone, is a big enough guy where he's probably transitioning to third base at some point anyway, where you look at it and go, okay, we have a gold glove power hitting he is what he is, right? A five-tool superstar player at shortstop that's in his prime, entering his prime, kind of on the same timeline and age as Michael Conforto, another guy that we want to be the face of this team for a very long time. And then we're going to have, and sure, you have J.D. Davis and Jeff McNeil that can play third, but you're going to have Ronnie Mauricio, maybe a Brett Beatty. One of those guys is going to hit in my eyes and pan out and come up and play third base eventually. I mean, that's special stuff. And if you keep Jimenez out of the deal, Jimenez has shown he's great at third. He's great at second. He obviously is very, very good at short. 
there's just a lot of reasons why I like acquiring Lindor, age being the most important one, but his skill set fitting so desperately with what the Mets need is is defense speed. Uh, sure, the power at the position is a bonus. I think with Arenado, he's a great player, and he makes you better. But I really do think with the way the Mets' farm system and roster is currently constructed, I think Lindor makes you even more better than Arenado would for longer, is my point. And think about if you do keep Jimenez, like you said, there's going to be days where you DH Robinson Cano. Imagine yeah, Super utility. And if you go ahead and sign Jackie Bradley Jr. to fill center field, imagine having some days when your middle infield and center field is Andres Jimenez, Francisco Lindor, and Jackie Bradley Jr. Like, that's up the middle defense like the Mets haven't had. <laughs> and no. I don't even know I don't even know how long. Like you have to go back to Rare Donez and Fonzie I was and those guys. Say, but like who was even the center fielder then? Was it Timo? <laughs> May- Timo yeah, like that's what you're right? looking yeah. at. Or Jay but, Payton or might have been am I early on that? Maybe. But either way. Yeah, but either it, way. The point is it's exciting, right? Yeah. And Lin- Lindor, I just I'm trying to my vision is Steve if I'm Steve Cohen I'm sitting in this chair right now. I'm getting with Sandy Alderson and then whoever the GM or whatever role they want to call it is hired. I'm going to say, I'm putting my stamp on this franchise. I want to acquire a franchise player that is my guy that I brought in. You know, we brought in collectively. And who who's the best guy to do that? I'd rather, I mean... Obviously, cost-dependent. I don't know what it will take to bring Lindor here. He is in his walk year. so that's Let's talk a, about it. Yeah. Let's make a package. So if we're going to make a package, I have to imagine they're going to want a big league shortstop back. And I think Ahmed Rosario is a guy that maybe it's just not going to work out in New York. Then you're looking at – you're going to go the prospect route. I think, I think they could get away without giving up two of their top three or four. Uh, just because he is in his walk year, and I, I think you could get away with it. I don't know. I'm going to say Beatty goes. And then... They could maybe, DH him eventually. Yeah, they could DH him eventually. He could play third. And maybe someone like a Mark Vientos, who's pretty exciting, but not you know top 100 prospect exciting. Because I, I really look back at like Manny Machado and guys like that that got traded in their walk years, superstar player, obviously, but he net like one top 50 prospects and then a couple guys kind of outside of it. So I don't even know if uh, that might even be, that might be about right. Something like Rosario, Beatty, and Vientos, or Vientos could be replaced by like a Thomas Zapucky or a Josh Wolf, someone like that if they if they yes, Matt insist Allen on an arm. For me, Matt Allen ain't going nowhere. I like Matt Allen more than I like Brett Beatty. Um, Frankly, Matt Allen and Francisco Francisco Alvarez are probably the two prospects that I don't want to trade almost under almost any circumstance, to be totally honest. Those are two that I think I want to hold on to. I think Alvarez is going to be legit. If I had to bet on any prospect in the system appearing in an all-star game, it'd be Francisco Alvarez. So I want to hang on to him. Uh, he looked really good. They called him to the alternate site, and he supposedly, you know, everyone there said, this kid is the real deal. So Alvarez I'd hang on to, 
and I think you know Matt Allen is the top pitching prospect in the system. So for me, those are two guys I need to hang on to. Uh, I'm kind of willing to talk other guys. Mauricio, I'd be willing to talk Mauricio. Uh, it's gonna it's gonna take it's gonna take a pretty good deal, but I think people would be surprised given that he's in his walk year that it's not gonna take Mauricio Rosario. Allen, Nimmo, and Vientos, or something like that. You know, it's it's not going to be quite that much, but I think they have the pieces to get it done if they want to. I'm interested to see what Sandy and the new GM feel about the prospects that are in place, too, because that's another thing. Matt Allen, I love him for good reason, but he was Brody's guy, so in theory... Maybe they're not as high on Matt Allen. You know, it, it's a new front office, a new regime. I know that Sandy uh, certainly wouldn't have wanted Jared Kelnick on. So I'm interested to see kind of what stance he takes because Sandy was always very – he didn't love to trade prospects, generally speaking. He was very picky about who went. You know, Michael Fulmer was traded, and it hurt him to trade Michael Fulmer. He didn't really want to do that, uh, but he knew he had to go get Cespedes. So that's it costs something. But I'm interested to see Sandy now. Sandy now, under Steve Cohen, might be a different Sandy than we've known. He's he has he has real money now. He's going to have a real budget in place where, you know, it it's been widely reported that when he went into off seasons, the Wilpons didn't give him a budget. They didn't say you have 150 million to spend. They said you know, go try to make moves and let us know when you're thinking about doing something and we'll let you know if we approve it or not. Terrible way to work. Off, Terrible way. It, it, it is almost, it's almost impossible. And frankly, it's a credit to Sandy Alderson that he got the Mets to the World Series operating under circumstances like that. Un, like, great job, underappreciated. But yeah, very long-winded. But maybe something like that. Maybe something like Rosario and then Mauricio or Beatty and someone like Josh Wolf or Vientos. Maybe something like that's pretty intriguing. I think you're, you're hoping it's Beatty because with the way Dom Smith played this year, there's just not a home in my eyes for Brett Beatty on the Mets in the near future. And it, maybe I sound ridiculous saying that, but, you know, he, Pete and Dom are going to play first in DH. They have yeah. to. And third base – I'm not confident Beatty sticks at third. I still like J.D. Davis. I still would like Jeff McNeil to get reps at third. I like Andres Jimenez playing some third, right? Like, you look at this. Like, what are your thoughts on Beatty long-term? He's great bat, obviously. Yeah, Beatty's a power power on base guy, which is really the mold that this scouting department likes. You know, they could deal with average being so-so. It's get on base and hit for power, OPS. That's really what, uh, like, a big focus here. Uh, Beatty is going to be able to do that, I believe. As far as his work at third base, uh, there's certainly a, it's certainly split as to whether he's going to be a third baseman long term or not. Uh, I know he's has a very high work ethic, so I'm not I'm not going to count him out of becoming a third baseman. Uh, I don't think he's going to fill out and become like some huge guy where he's just not going to be able to move. Uh, I don't think that's that's not his body type. He's not going to become you know a chubby guy or something like that. I don't think. Uh, unless he doesn't take care of himself, but by all accounts, he he's in pretty he's in good shape, uh, has a high work ethic. I'm not going to put it past him, but I don't think he'll ever be you know a plus third baseman. 
I don't think you're ever going to be like, wow, it's exciting that Brett Beatty is playing third base defensively. But <laughs> if, he, if, if he could get to the point of being solid, that's good enough. Uh, I'm okay with it with his bat. But like you said, I would trade Beatty before Mauricio. I mean, I'm going to do a prospect ranking sometime soon, and you know we'll, we'll run through it here on, on the podcast. But, you know, I'm... I kind of I'm gonna rank guys in what I think their upside is, and then part of that is kind of, in a sense, a priority list of trading guys. Like, all right, number one, I'd like to trade him the least because he's number one. <laughs> I mean, kind of a little obvious, but you know, I, I would trade Beatty before Mauricio for sure because I think Mauricio has more tools just across the board. He's more of a toolsy player than um, than Beatty is, but. Beatty, I'm more confident in Beatty's bat than I am Mauricio's, like him hitting at the big league level. But Mauricio could put it all together and become a star. I don't know if Brett Beatty can. Now, I know you had one more uh, would you rather for free agency part of this. So which was what was that? Yeah, so one more would you rather. Obviously, the bullpen is something that needs to be addressed this offseason. Edwin Diaz re-solidified himself as a closer. I think great closer. I'm not going to fight people anymore. Like, if you don't think so, that's okay. Uh, Edwin Diaz solidified himself as a closer. Jairus Familia, you can't trust, but he's probably going to be back. Dellen Batansis is probably going to pick up his option because he was hurt and bad. So why wouldn't he? Seth Lugo, is he going to return to the bullpen or stay in the rotation? I guess it kind of depends on free agency, uh, free agency moves, but... He's a bullpen guy. I, I don't know how else to say it. He's not, like, he's commendable as a starter, but he's potentially awesome as a reliever. So I appreciate what he wants to do. I'm sure he's thinking ahead, like, if I'm a starter, I'm going to make more money than if I'm a reliever. So I I get it. But at the end of the day, the Mets need to be doing what's best for the Mets. And for me, that's Seth Lugo in the bullpen going forward. But regardless, they have to do something in the bullpen. Would you rather... Sign A's closer Liam Hendricks, absolute monster, uh, posting sub-two ERAs. Liam Hendricks is an absolute beast, best reliever on the market. Or, given the fact that you have so many holes in this bullpen that need to be filled, would you rather take a chance on a guy like Kirby Yates, who is a very good closer but underwent Tommy John and should be back sometime early next year, so you might be even a little delayed with him, to be honest, but potentially impactful when he comes off and then also be able to sign someone like a Trevor Rosenthal who kind of reemerged after a couple really lost years. Uh, he got a lot better this year. So would you rather go for the legit guy like Hendricks in hopes that it transitions to New York? I mean, he closed in Oakland. How's he going to handle even if it's the eighth inning in New York? I, we, I don't know Liam Hendricks, the person, so I can't say. Or would you rather say, all right, we need so many things in the bullpen. Let's let's grab a couple guys and try to build, you know, a more sound bullpen rather than really top heavy and then fall off. So this one's tough, right? It's not as easy as people think because a lot of people will just go, well, duh, take Hendricks because he's the sure thing. Number one, signing and acquiring relievers, and you have outlined this to very well to me, Joe, is never a sure thing. They are uh, very volatile. So it's it's not as obvious as it seems on paper. The upside of maybe getting two good relievers for a Mets bullpen that needs a lot of work, like you said, is intriguing. 
The concern with Hendricks is he's a guy that figured it out a little late, right? I think he was 29 when he had his first, like, wow, that's a really good reliever kind of year. So he's not somebody that came up at 22 and was this dominant player. That's, that's not the case. Now, that's okay. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. But when you, put, when you write all that stuff down and you're making a decision, for me, I'm still going with Hendricks. And here's how I would set it up. One, it's tough for me to bet on Rosenthal and Yates now. They both could come back and be, be good again. You know, it's, there's no denying that. But I like the setup of Hendricks coming in as the Mets closer and Lugo and Diaz alternating as 7th, 8th, 8th inning kind of guys. Now, realistically, they're going to be your 8th inning kind of players because both of them really can't pitch on back-to-back nights. Now, we did see some of it from Diaz this year where he was very successful doing it. But in 2019, it was an utter disaster when he did it. And it's something that, ultimately, I would like to find a way to avoid. Now, Seth Lugo, for our medical reasons with his elbow, you know, typically cannot pitch back-to-back nights, but will give you two innings sometimes. So you're telling me that Lugo can handle the seventh and eighth inning some nights. Diaz is somebody that can get you six outs, but ultimately, you know, you're not always going to go that route. If you can alternate them as your 7th and 8th inning setup guys and have Hendricks being your absolute lights-out guy in the ninth inning, that's a proposition for me that is just way too tempting. It is way too tempting. It's exciting. It is a bridge from the starters to the bullpen that they have not had in a long time. Now, you're going to hope for a bounce back from Batanzas, and like you said, he's probably here next year because I don't think the market would do him much better you're going to have to find some arms that can that can have good years that are unexpected or that are low-cost kind of guys. Maybe Steven Matz is a bullpen guy, although he was terrible when he went that route this year. Maybe Gesellman can figure it out, although it seems unlikely. You're just hoping for things like that. But ultimately, what it comes down to for me, Joe, is just having Hendricks as your ninth inning guy and that setup dynamic of Lugo and Diaz on different nights. It's way too tempting for me. All right, so Connor. All right, let's let's talk about this really quick. So, I'm I'm going to agree with you about Liam Hendricks. Let me just get that out front. But you mean to tell me that you want to sign Liam Hendricks from Oakland and just declare him the closer? Yes. In New York. In New York. <laughs> That's exactly what I'm telling you. <laughs> why? Why? Why would he? Why would you be so confident after what? Edwin Diaz showed you this year that I understand have a competition. I'm fine with that. You know, prove, prove who's, who's going to be the best, but you'd sign Liam Hendricks out of Oakland and say, Edwin Diaz, who was awesome this year. Sorry. You're a setup guy now. I just think you're not getting Hendricks. If you don't sign him as the closer, I, I don't think he comes here now. Sure. We can play the, Moneybags Cohen can get anyone to come here to do anything kind of game. But I think when you look at it, Hendricks has the kind of resume now for two years, right? You look at 2019 where he was an all-star. He has a 1.8 ERA, and he shuts the door on 25 games. This year in the shortened season, he has a 1.78 ERA, so almost the same exact year from an earned runs perspective. And he shut the door, you know, 14 saves. He, he finished 20 games, but 14 saves. I think he's coming out to the market where 
Now, and I'm going to get to my second reason, which is more of a baseball reason and much more important to me. But I just don't think he comes here without being the closer. And Diaz is at the point where he just doesn't have much of a choice because this is where he was traded to. But the baseball reason for me, Joe, Hendricks didn't walk anyone this year. Just didn't walk anyone. And I'm I'm leaning more with you. I am Team Diaz, right, compared to the fan base that does not like him. I I liked what I saw from Diaz this year. I'm excited about that this might not be the total dud of a trade it was. Always going to be a bad trade. Maybe it's not like on the top five worst New York sports trades of all time list one day. But I just I want the guy closing that does not walk anyone. Yeah, I mean, Diaz does walk guys, and so does Josh Hader. And I bet you'd be thrilled if Josh Hader was here. He walked more guys than Diaz did. Uh, but, no, I understand. You know, Hendricks has – but I think we're at the point. Are, are we? This is kind of a bigger conversation. This is bigger than Diaz and Hendricks. Are we getting to the point where the term closer is not really that relevant anymore? Like, is it just – are we going to get to the point where you just – get good relievers and use analytics use these things to make sure you're putting them in the proper situations to succeed and not smart teams will and not just saying all right you know to your point you said liam Hendricks ninth inning but like what if the batters that are going to be coming up in theory in that inning are guys that will hit his curveball just as an example like, those guys are curveball hitters, so let's bring in Diaz, who's a fastball slider pitcher, or let's bring in Lugo, who throws everything. Uh, like, to me, that might be the ideal way to do it. I mean, I'm a Diaz closer guy. You. If we're, if we're going to play closer, I think I'd, I'd still lean Diaz, but I'm willing to have them compete. Uh, like you said, I don't know if that would impact my ability to get Liam Hendricks. It may, but I would, I would pitch it to them and say, look, Liam, we're going to pay you whatever let's call it 12 million a year 13 million a year i don't i don't know exactly what his market will be but if you call it that it go but we're not going to tell you that you're pitching the ninth inning every time like you're coming here we're trying to win a world series that may mean some days you pitch the seventh that may mean some days you pitch the eighth and then there's gonna be days where you do pitch the ninth and if that's a problem i'm gonna be honest with you i need my relievers to be flexible like Diaz, for what it's worth, he got demoted out of the closer role. So let's be very clear that he got kicked out of being closer. But he didn't say a peep. He was just, I'm going to put my nose down. I'm going to pitch the seventh. I'm going to pitch the eighth. And I'm going to get that ninth inning back. And then what did he do? He got the ninth inning back and then he pitched great. So I, I want my relievers being willing to do everything. So I think it's an interesting idea, but I'm totally with you on... Liam Hendricks over a couple guys and let's just let's make it a kind of a three-headed monster with Diaz Hendricks and Lugo and then if you could get Batanzas healthy and better cool if Familia could do be somewhat consistent awesome I mean Jason Shreve pitched well for the Mets this year and he's actually under control for next year despite signing a minor league deal he's arbitration eligible so they could have Jason Shreve back too if they want and then you, like you said, you have to find those guys. The and I think we've talked about it too in past episodes. You have to find the guy that signs a one-year, one-point-five million-dollar deal that pitches, pitches really well. Like those are the, the smart teams are going to find those guys. 
Without a doubt. It's a, it, we could sit here and talk about this for literally days, and, and fortunately we're going to be doing this all winter. Um, and it's a fascinating debate. It, it really is. It's going to be the building the bullpen or retooling the bullpen is, is not discussed enough with this Mets team because their star players attached to them with rumors. There is, you know, pitching, catching, um, center field, all these big areas in need. But the bullpen strategy – like the strategy of it, not the, hey, go throw money at the top guy or, you know, just the, just the overall strategy of filling it out is really, really interesting. But as we always do to close out the show, we're going to answer a couple of questions here. Really appreciate you guys always sending these in. First one here from Damn Supa. What's the benefit of Steve Cohen owning minor league teams affiliated with the Mets from a business standpoint? You keep the money in house obviously is number one. That's not not necessarily a bad thing. Obviously, are they profitable? No, not really heavy. Uh, Brooklyn actually does pretty well. They they draw awesome, so Brooklyn does pretty well. But you know, you're not, especially for someone like Steve Cohen. It's not like he's pounding his chest about the money he made it by with the AAA team. But there's you you do you do make a little money, and it's just good to have. A sense of control because ultimately if you don't own the teams which mind you owning minor league franchises is not something that most teams have like some teams will own one some teams own none some teams own a, own a couple the Mets and Steve Cohen will have Syracuse Brooklyn and St. Lucie all owned by the Mets and Steve Cohen which is great that and then and they'll sign a uh, developmental contract with columbia for for their a ball facility which is fine you usually have a working relationship with these guys and you know you just sign a contract for them to be an affiliate of yours it's really not a big deal it's very common throughout the game but yeah i think i think it's good to be able to just have control and certainty because when a contract runs out the mets ran to this problem where they got forced to have las vegas as their triple a team for a couple years because you know, the contract ran out and uh, that Buffalo went with the Blue Jays, I think, uh, at, at the time. So they went, they became the Blue Jays AAA affiliate. They don't have to stay with the Mets if they don't want to. The contract's up. It is what it is. And now the Mets were sitting there and they're like, well, the only AAA affiliate that's left is Las Vegas. And I, I'm sure you remember the horror stories of guys oh, God. flying back Terrible. and forth from Vegas to New York. Just an absolute disaster. If you own the team, then you basically say, Syracuse Mets, we own them. They're going to be our AAA uh, uh, affiliate for as long as we want. Brooklyn, we own it. That's going to be our AA affiliate for as long as we want. St. Lucie, as long as we want. Like that. That's really the big benefit to me is just not having to worry about changing affiliation and potentially getting a non-ideal affiliation as far as location-wise. Because certainly especially when you get to the upper minors, you don't want these guys because how many times did Jacob Rame, poor Jacob Rame, went back and forth from Vegas to Queens, just going back and forth. Like, that's miserable. So you want to be closer. So Syracuse, you could get a guy right there. It's very convenient. Um, I think they're very fortunate to have AAA uh, Syracuse as their, as their affiliate. But, yeah, I think that's really the main thing, is so just having control over the affiliate for the long term. Uh, I mean, that, yeah, it makes sense. It, as we saw with the Vegas disaster, it just screamed poverty with the Mets franchise, honestly, which has just been a 
a thorn in the side when we talk about the Mets. So it's it's good to see something like that go down. The next one from at sell the team 05. You might have to change that username now because the team has sold been the sold. Team. Sold, sold the, the team, team 05. It's so good. <laughs> Do you think the new GM will be hired before December? If not, will they just be doing interviews while going for free agents? Before December, I hope so. Um, I, or do they just ride it out with Sandy? I think that you're going to see Steve Cohen approved before the calendar starts with an 11. I think before November starts, Cohen will get approved. And Sandy is, let's call him hired. They can't say it officially, but Sandy is hired. So you mean to tell me that Sandy Alderson and Steve Cohen aren't game planning? right now and figuring out who they're going to interview who they're going to pursue to to be the gm i can't i have to imagine they can get a gm by sometime in early to mid november at the latest as long as the approval goes as i kind of think it's going to i think it'll be before december but if for some reason things get delayed oh like if the vote does get pushed to the owners meeting and everything gets delayed then yeah, like you said, Sandy Alderson can just run the show. Then you could go, well, Sandy, we'll figure out the GM. You just, you're president. You're the head of baseball operations here. So you, you go ahead and make the call. But I, I bet before December. Yeah, it's, there, there's going to be so much happening with this team at once. Like, and it's bizarre because you'll have, you know, football going on. But, and obviously baseball will, will just be concluding. But for the Mets, it's like, you know, Cohen being approved as owner, hiring all these different spots that need to be filled out, signing players, making trades, hopefully in-house extensions, cough, yeah. cough, Michael Conforto. Yeah. It, I know we like almost have hyped it up too much, but there's really no too much in hyping this up, how busy the Mets are yeah. going to be in the next four to five months. Yeah. So enjoy, it's, enjoy it's, the yeah. last, enjoy the next two to three weeks of general Mets. Yeah, it's the calm before the storm because once Cohen's in, like, as far as I'm concerned and as far as what I've heard as possible is, like, once once he's in, you know, it's Taking going. off the runway? It's go time, yeah. man. He's, he's, he's punching the yeah. gas. He's not he's not rolling and rolling to the stop sign. He's, he's going. So I think we're going to be – you're going to see a lot of stuff happen and – you might end up with a bunch of emergency that's so met podcast, who knows, uh, based on what everything happens. But I think I think Sandy and Cohen have really been talking about what the organizational plan is for longer than you might think. Like the fact that it came out that he intends to sign Sandy, it's not like he called them the day before that and was like, So, what do you think? Like they <laughs> wanna they, wanna come yeah, back? Yeah. Yeah, they've been talking for for a little bit here. You know, certainly as you reported, you know, hearing about Sandy for a while uh, as far as coming back to the Mets. But I think I think they're more prepared than people are aware of. Yeah, I I could tell you they definitely are. So as somebody that hinted uh, Sandy Alderson was coming back before <laughs> before it was out there, they are definitely ready for this. All right, last question. Uh, from at an insane Mets fan, another great username that does not need to be changed. How does a timeline of Steve Cohen taking over late October, early November affect the offseason expectations? What should fans expect in his first offseason if this is the case? 
so I I think he's on he's on a good track there with approval. I think it's a very shortly after the World Series, and I think the latest the World Series could end is October twenty eighth. So I think you know right after World Series ends, you're going to see this this come across pretty quickly. And I think if it is in that time frame, your off season expectations should be that the Mets are going to be very active. They're going to be active and. Again, let's let's not worry about just the players on the field. I know that's ultimately what wins and loses games, but you're going to be seeing reports of general manager potentially being hired. You're going to see reports of maybe some change within the scouting department. You're going to see some reports about how they're going to fulfill this analytical department that is very well reported now by Andy Martino at SNY and the New York Daily News that they're planning, like that's, Cohen's first thing is building this big analytics team and awesome can't wait for it but you know I think they're they're ready to go like we said I think foot on the gas your expectation should be they're going to be aggressively filling their front office and infrastructure so that way in theory the Mets are going to be a sustained success because that's what's going to lead the Mets to being a winner consistently is building that infrastructure it's you know signing the flashy free agent is awesome if you tell me they're signing JT Realmuto or they're signing Trevor Bauer, that's going to make a big difference on the Mets. There's no question about that. But if we're we're Mets fans, this guy's an insane one. <laughs> like, well, I guess I guess we all are. But we're Mets fans. We're going to be Mets fans for in theory a long time here. And I want sustained success. I want the Mets. I don't want the Mets just to be good in 2021. I want the Mets to be good in 2021, 2022, 23, 24, 25. And on, you know, typical, you know, let's call it a a five-year cycle, which is pretty common. If that's the case, then, you know, building the infrastructure is just as important as any free agent they're going to sign, especially as there's two sides to it, right? There's the side that you said that Sandy Alderson is going to be very, very privy to. Don't just, you know, ruin everything. Or, or take too much of a risk where you don't have a long-term future or sustained success. But this is also a fan buying the team that has witnessed them waste a window of arguably the greatest Mets, Mets pitcher since Tom Seaver. Yep. And Jacob deGrom has gotten better every year, and his stuff has gotten better every year. But that eventually is going to stop, Mets fans. And I love Jacob deGrom, and I hope he pitches to a – a sub three ERA until the end of time, but there is going to be a, f- a part of this owner that says, Hey, Michael Conforto is entering his prime. Jacob deGrom is in his prime. We don't know how long that's going to go. Let's not mess around with it. There's a lot of players in this lineup that are ready for the big stage, right? Like we want to see Pete Alonzo playing October baseball, a guy that feeds off the energy of the crowd and feeds off the energy of when everything's on the line. We want to see things like that. So there are two sides to it. Are they going to just go absolutely crazy and not care about the next eight years? No. But do they have a fan buying the team that has a lot of money that understands this team is not, you know, the Mets of 2010 or 11? That's not the case. The Mets are built to win now with a few additions. So I'm excited to see how it plays out. And I actually, I can't say this about a lot of teams I root for uh, in my lifetime, but I genuinely have a feeling that the Mets are in a good place right now and they're going to get this thing right. So on that high note, Joe, any closing thoughts from today's episode? 
No, it was a fun one playing Would You Rather. You know, we're going to do different off-season games, and, you know, we're working on getting some guests so that way we could, you know, talk to some people and you could hear some voices other than ours <laughs> at least a couple times here this off-season. So, you know, definitely look for that. Um, but, no, I'm super excited about everything that's coming for not only the Mets and us as Met fans, but for this podcast and, you know, glad again like i say every week glad to be doing it and uh can't can't wait for next week and hopefully something cool drops that we could talk about otherwise we'll trust me there's no shortage of things to talk about the mets so you know please you know follow twitter at that's so mets pod rate subscribe review all that good stuff on apple Podcasts, spotify wherever you get them and you know that certainly helps the show a lot you know, again, a lot, a lot of podcasts are kind of taking an off-season break. Uh, we will not be doing that. We will be here every week, and when something awesome happens, you know, we'll hop on for ten minutes and just talk about it. So, if the Mets sign JT Realmuto, you know, Connor and I will, or at least one of us will drop what we're doing and we'll, we'll, we'll find ten minutes and you know, get, get something out there. So yeah, I can't wait. This off season is going to be eventful in so many ways. And uh, yeah, can't wait to keep going, man. That's right. Emergency pods will be on the way. Interviews will be on the way, but in the meantime, Tuesday evenings, early Wednesday mornings is when a new episode is guaranteed to drop every single week. Thanks so much, everyone. We'll catch you next week. I'm Amira Rose Davis, host of the new season of American prodigy, all about black girls in gymnastics. My white coaches just said, you may not get the scores that you deserve because you're Black. It's the story of a decades-long struggle of Black gymnasts trying to find and amplify their voices. I can't be the next Simone Biles. I can't be the next Dominique Dodds. I can only be the next version of myself. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts.